Turn please in the word of God to John's Gospel. John's Gospel chapter 4. Want to read and consider some of these words together. Oh, I can't get away from them. Of how the Lord goes after the individual. John chapter 4, I'm sure you know the passage well. I'm sure you know how the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in John 4 verse 4, must needs go through Samaria. Why did he do it? Well, the rest of that chapter opens that thought up for us. To meet that individual, to meet that woman, to meet that person who really was despised and ostracized by those of her own community. She went down there at the hottest part of the day. In fact, it tells us that, I suppose. Either it is at the end of verse 6, it was about the ninth hour. That brings us right up to noon, when the sun is at its height. She was there on her own. Doing a task that very often all the women would have been involved in. But here we find her alone at the well. And it was there the Lord Jesus Christ planned to meet with that woman. Now, I'll not be dealing with how that woman was converted. I've preached this portion many times in the gospel. We're not here to do that tonight. We're here to consider a very different thought. In fact, we've let the cat out of the bag already. What that man, his name was Robert, said to me last night, what can one do? Indeed, what can one do? Let us read some of this portion. We'll not read the verses that I suppose that are overly familiar with us. Uh, but let us break into that chapter at verse 28. John chapter 4 verse 28. The Lord had dealt with her. There came a moment, there came an instant at that meeting when the Savior was dealing with that woman that she knew that was no longer about the water. And that's in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. There was a lot of discussion early on about water. The Lord was using the illustration of the water to minister and to speak to her, to reveal who he was. But at this point, the penny dropped. At this point, the scales were lifted from her eyes and she realized right away, this is not about water. This is about something much higher than water. Look at what she did. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. I've already said she didn't have a rapport with the women. She had no testimony with the women. But she certainly did. The men watched her for other reasons. She was one of loose moral compass, we could put it that way, to say it mildly. And the Lord revealed that to her. In fact, look at what it tells us in verse 16, 17, 18. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. He was just about to reveal something to her here, show that he was the searching God who searches the hearts. Look at what it says there. Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, She thought she was going to be getting out of it here. I have no husband. Now there's a cagey answer. I have no husband. Right away, Jesus come in. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Look at the next verse, verse 18. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidst thou truly. Full stop. That's the end of the matter. The Lord didn't rub her nose in her sin. He said enough to show her, to let her know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he knew all about what she had been involved in and what was still involved in, but he didn't 
rubber nose in it. We have a gracious saviour here. Do we realise the grace of God? We know a little bit about it. Now that's, we didn't even get to our reading yet, verse 28, 29, 30. The woman then left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the men, Come see a man. This is her text. Which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Look at the response there. They turn over to verse 39 and on down that little section. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him, believed on Christ. For the saying of the woman was testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there. Look at what it says at the end of that verse. Remember, every word of God is pure. You'll never get a preacher who'll just say what's needed to be said, will always bluff it out with words. Not so the scriptures. Every word that's here is weighed. Every word that's here is there for reason. Proverbs 30 verse 5 covers that. It says, every word of God is pure. Look at the last two words in verse 40. Is that not a warning there? And he abode there two days. Limited opportunity. And many more believed because of his own word, no numbers given, but many more that, that fact stated because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And look at verse 43. This thought is doubled or uh, given to us again, verse 43. The same thought at the end of verse 40. The last two two. Words of verse 40. Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honour in his own country. Amen. We didn't read many verses there. You know that portion well, I'm sure. Of how the Lord went after that individual. How he won her to himself. But that's not what our focus is on tonight. Our focus is on, we're speaking... Maybe I'm making an assumption here. To a body of believers, those of us that want to go further with the Lord, be used by the Lord. And let us go back to that question that I was asked this time last night. What can one do? Before we come to this portion, let us still our hearts again, please. As we ask for God's blessing upon this, his own word. Father, we do pray that thou would bless even this look at, this brief look at this portion that we have before us. Oh, Lord, encourage us tonight. Surely the Christian in this day and generation, we need encouragement. There's so much out there to pull us down, so much out there to strip layers off us and to annoy us. And if there's a hundred people on for us and there's that one that isn't, oh, Lord, it's, it's them the focus is on. We're naturally gravitate toward that, but, Lord, I pray that thou would give us that that we need tonight. Undertake for us. Bless us. Help us. Every individual here. Every family represented. In thy precious name we do ask. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you tonight about an individual that I'm sure many of you know. At least something about. Who has heard of the great D.L. Moody? Now there you are. Every hand I think went up. 
the great D.L. Moody. Do I know much about D.L. Moody? You see, I'm often overwhelmed whenever I consider of how the Lord Jesus Christ, we read of it in the four Gospels, time after time after time. Yes, of course, we read about how the Lord went after the multitudes. In fact, the only of 35 recorded miracles in the Gospels, the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels, the three synoptics and John's Gospel as well, is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Big numbers. We gravitate toward the big numbers, don't we? We'll go to Presbytery, we'll get asked eight questions as a minister, and they're nearly all around things like numbers. We ask the treasurer, we ask the clerk of session, questions that really go on the metric of numbers. But how the Lord Jesus Christ, very often, as we read of his ministry, of, his, of how he deals with people, we read about how he goes after the individual. Even in that miracle, it just comes to mind, even in that miracle that is the feeding of the 5,000, we, we see the, the, the wide-angled lens covering that miracle, but then it comes right in, I think it's John chapter 6, verse 9, it comes right in and it deals with an individual within it. Remember how he asked, is there any food here? Is there anybody got anything? And I think it was Andrew who said, there is a lad here. A lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. He even used the numbers. He even used the metrics that we still use today. There is a lad here that has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But. Isn't that the way we think at times? But. But you can nearly. If we can't see him in scripture. But you can nearly see the shoulders going down. But. What are they among so many? In other words. We're bait before we start. And yet the Lord took that little. Remember, little is much when the Lord is in it. The Lord took that little and he turned it into excess, in fact. Remember the 12 baskets full that came back? I, I, I'm nearly preaching that miracle. I didn't intend to mention it at all tonight. But we're really, I'll go back to D.L. Moody. You've heard of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was one man. And really, I suppose today he's recognized as one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest soul winners of the 19th century. To think about D.L. Moody, he really, throughout his lifetime, he funded several colleges, several schools. He had a particular love for children's work, for the Sabbath schools that he started up, for evangelism, for reaching the lost, for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, his famous Sabbath schools in the city of Chicago are famous for reaching, again, there's me going down the normal metric, numbers, over 2,000 children, and apparently he knew every one of their background, he knew their name, he knew the family, he knew where they came out of, he had a real tangible connection with them, and they were his pride and joy. D.L. Moody. He preached across the world, preaching tours, gospel campaigns around the United States, over here and in the in the UK as well, he went on to found the Moody Bible Institute. He did much for the Lord, Moody Publishing House. But I want us to come right back to the very start of D.L. Moody's life. Because we can learn a lot from the lives of believers, the lives of saints. He started off in the most humble surroundings imaginable. Dwight Lyman Moody, that's what the D.L. stands for. Dwight Lyman Moody was born in the city of Massachusetts way back in 1837. Times were, were hard then. He was the seventh child in a family of nine. And his father, 
Edwin by name, died whenever Dwight was just four years of age. And his death thrust the family immediately into hardship, into hard times. D.L.'s mother, Betsy, her name was, struggled to support the children. And in fact, she was forced, as soon as they got up to work on age, which wouldn't have been too old then, as soon as they got up a wee bit, they had to go and work just so that they could put bread on the table. Whenever D.L. turned 17 years of age, his mother sent him off to Boston to work on his uncle's shoe shop. But his uncle wasn't going to take any nonsense. And he took, and, and, he, and he made a rule. He said, yes, I'll take Dwight over to my home. He can live and work with me. But there's a hard and fast rule, and there's to be no argument. If he's to come to me, he'll be going to church, and that'll be the end of it. There'll be no argument. And of course that happened. He went to, it was Mount Vernon Congregational Church. And he was put into a Sabbath school class. At that stage he was 17 years of age, coming on 18 years of age. And he went into a Sabbath school class where the Sabbath school teacher was a very, very shy man. A man by the name of Edward Kimball. Has anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? See, that in itself is telling. We've all heard of the great D.L. Moody, but nobody has heard of Edward Kimball. Remember the question at the start, what can one do? Edward Kimball was used mightily of the Lord. Edward Kimball, he didn't have much by way of ability, didn't have much by way of confidence, wouldn't have been able to stand in front of people or, or, or stand on a street corner and preach or, or do what his minister would have done. But he had something that people maybe that have those abilities, he had something that they very often lack. And that is a genuine God-given burden for the lost. A concern for souls. Especially the souls of those young lads, those boys that were put into his care. And Edward Kimball set about to pray for the boys in his class. To pray particularly and especially for the young D.L. Moody, for Dwight. By that age, by that stage, he was a lad of 18 years of age. And he was determined, after some time praying for Dwight, determined to actually put foot to his prayers and to speak to him about the Lord. Speak to him about his soul. Speak to him about his eternal need. Now, Dwight worked in his uncle's shoe shop. I mentioned that already. And Edward Kimball planned one day, one particular day, built up the courage. Remember, he wasn't, a very, he wasn't a very confident man. He was very shy. But he built up the courage this particular day to go to the shoe shop and to speak to him about his soul. And in fact, we read in the, in the history books, now there's no books written about Edward Kimball. He just gets a wee mention. But he paced up and down the front of the shop, scared of going in. Now, it says, maybe been gracious toward Edward, that he didn't want to embarrass the lad. But he really didn't want to embarrass himself. Eventually he plucked up enough courage and he walked into the shop and he looked around to see where Dwight was. All the other boys were there. He wasn't even in. He wasn't in the shop. And he asked one of them, where is Dwight? Is he away out on a delivery or something? No, he's in the stock room at the back, packing up shoes ready to be posted out. He was there on his own. And Edward Kimball went into, they were shown into the, the room and they closed the door and he started to speak to Dwight about his soul 
And right away there was a response from Dwight because unbeknown to Edward Kimball, the Lord had already been wrestling with and meeting with and challenging the young D.L. Moody. Brought him so far, but he didn't really know what to do. And that day, Edward Kimball had the joy and the privilege and the pleasure, the sheer delight of being able to point, that's all we can do, been able to point the young D.L. Moody to the Lord Jesus Christ as his own and personal saviour. Now, the Lord had already been working with him. But that man, Edward Kimball, really, truthfully, a nobody as far as the world is concerned. Even today, a nobody as far as anybody else is concerned, but his love for the Lord, his burden for the lost, his desire to see others one for Christ. So, think of this, that one man, saw the remarkable conversion of one of the greatest soul winners in the past 200 years. Now, the Lord does the saving. But humanly speaking, Edward Kimball was used of God to literally bring D.L. Moody to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we not see many parallels between that and what we read here in John chapter 4, this great passage of scripture that we're, that we're in tonight for the few minutes that we have. Think about this woman at the well. Think of what we read there in verse 30. Think of her testimony. Think of the words that she said to those whose ears she had. She literally did that very thing. She literally brought others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 29. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. She wasn't elaborating. She wasn't multiplying words. She didn't give them a 45 minute oration. She just told them exactly what she knew to be true. She gave this invitation. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. That's how he revealed to himself. Revealed to her who he was. That told me all things that ever I did. That's really verse 16, 17, 18. Where he revealed her sin. Didn't rub her nose in it. Just told her enough. And on the basis of that. She was able to claim what she said here in verse 29. Is not this the Christ? Now that's what I want us to think of tonight. For the few moments that we have. About bringing others to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said it already. Of It's wonderful how the Lord goes after the individual. And in saving the individual. That in itself is wonderful. How the Lord speaks to the individual challenges the individual draws the individual to himself but there's this whole other side that we discover and find and read in the gospels and see in individuals lives even in the life of Edward Kimball even in D.L. Moody himself of how the Lord uses is pleased to use in fact pleased to use the human instrument to bring individuals to him never you think that's one of the tactics of the devil, in fact. I firmly believe that. More and more, the more people I deal with on a one-to-one, -one, the more I, I can see it every day of how the devil tries to isolate, tries to make you feel like you're on your own, tries to make you feel like the problems you're going through and the, and the sins that you contemplate and the sins that you speak about and the sins that you actually do, that, that you're unique almost. Tries to bring us out on our own. I love watching the wildlife programs of how the big cats in the savannas in Africa and all the rest of it go after. They go into a big crowd of wildebeest or zebra or whatever else. And the first thing they do, they seek out a 
a weaker animal, and then they try to isolate that animal, and then they wear it down before they kill it and eat it. Isn't that very often what happens to us? Whereas the Lord, on the other hand, would have us to be encouraged, have us to be used of him in his great work. I want us to think about how she was used to bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing is very simple. And that is, and we see it here, especially because of her low condition, her low start point, really. The grace that she personally experienced that very day. She was at the lowest of the low. She was literally isolated. She was there at the well. She was on her own at the hottest part of the day. Just there on her own. Isolated. She was already isolated. Before the Savior stepped into that particular scene. And made her feel as special as she was. Think of her. We couldn't call her a lady. She was a sinner of the highest order. She was a Samaritan, first of all. She wasn't just any Samaritan. She was one who was ostracized by her own folks. One with the loosest of morals. However, the Lord Jesus Christ made a beeline to where she would be. And that encounter that day changed her forever. For time, for temporal change, and her eternity. She's in heaven now with the same Lord Jesus Christ that she met that day. And I thought about that. You know, those of us that are saved tonight, those of us that are walking, seeking to walk worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus, do we not know something of the grace of God in our lives? Let me ask a question. And before I ask any, before I point a finger at anybody else, there's three fingers pointing back at Paul Hannah. I challenge myself. I preach to myself before I preach to any congregation. What am I? What are we? What are you doing with our salvation? Do I hide it away like a bus pass or a passport in our back pocket or lock it away in the safe and turn the key and say, that'll come in handy? Or do we tell others? I've been singing that. I don't even know all the words. I, I drive a school bus and, I've, and start a new run and I'm singing away flat out and the kids will be shouting, turn on the radio and I'll say, okay, what do you want me to sing? And I'm singing away at the top of my voice. Some folks, I don't even know the words of it. I don't know where I must find them. Some folks may ask me, some folks may say, who is this Jesus you talk about every day? He is my saviour and he set me free. You'll maybe know some of the words. You'll know it better than I will. Isn't that wonderful how we can even have opportunities, just we thin, end, thin edges of the wedge where we can ask and, and speak to people and just get a wee bit in. I was out the other day on a, on, a, on a trip. I don't know how they found out that I was... They started calling me... I was the bus driver. Like, they just call you driver. And then the next thing they're calling you reverend. How'd they find out that? Yeah, it must slip out somewhere. And then you get opportunities. Whenever people start to get loose to the tongue and start to talk and whenever they're comfortable, you start to get opportunities. Every day the Lord gives divine encounters. Was this not a divine encounter that we read of here in John chapter 4? Of how God's grace was extended to that individual, that woman, and she shared that to others. What did she say in verse 28? Come see a man. Is that the verse? Verse 29, come see a man who's told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Didn't she make it personally relatable to herself? She didn't just rhyme off a form of words that, had been, that somebody else had been using. She made it personal to herself. Isn't that what the Lord has done for us? Look at the grace that she personally experienced and how she was able to communicate that with everybody else. 
who would listen. You know, there's something that every one of us can do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you will have opportunities that I'll never have. And vice versa. I'll be able to speak and deal with those teachers and parents and kids that are on my bus run that you'll maybe never see. But vice versa, you'll maybe see somebody coming to your door to visit. I remember Dr. Paisley preaching. I can't remember what the sermon was. It just comes to mind about a similar line about how he encouraged people to, to speak out for the Lord and to, to say what he could. And this wee woman pulled him at the door after and said, but I never see anybody. He says, well, what do you do? You're not a seamstress working away. And they, does somebody not bring you thread and not bring you material? And uh, do you not have customers that you see? And, and, and uh, with every suggestion that he made, he could see like a wee light bulb going on in our mind. Yes, yes, right enough. Uh-huh, that's right. Yes, I do have opportunities to speak to people that you'll never see. And the Lord is pleased to use that little comment, that little thing. It's wonderful the places you go to. I go to places, and you'll see maybe a wee gospel tract sitting. Someone was there before me. Someone there has been doing the work of the evangelist. What are we doing with our salvation? Look at the grace that she experienced. What about the grace that we experience? But there's something else here too. Look at the burden that she felt. She did not just experience this grace and go, isn't that wonderful? I'll just keep this all contained, nearly like a bottle of Coke where it's, it's all shook up, but the lid's still on it. Show what use is that? You need to open it and let it out. Now, we're not just like the bottle of Coke where the fizz is up and then it's gone, but rather we need to be bubbling up and we need to be used of God, a blessing all day. Every opportunity given. Look at the burden that she felt there. She did something about it. Look at verse 28 and verse 29. She didn't just stay with her water pot. She didn't continue on with what she had been doing and what she had planned to do. She didn't say, well, what you're talking about sounds good, but I've got a list of jobs to do and I'm just going to continue on with it maybe some other day. In fact, we read and highlighted those words that tell us that the Lord was only there for two days. Limited opportunity. In fact, there's other places. I'm thinking, just right away, I'm thinking about Luke chapter 19, about how the Lord was passing through Jericho whenever he dealt with and spoke to and saved Zacchaeus. Passing through the city. It was a cursed city, but he was passing through it. This is a cursed world, and he's just passing through it. Should we not be grabbing with both hands every opportunity that we have? Two days is generous. Today... Look at the burden that she felt there. The woman left her water pot. She didn't just continue on with what she was doing. She left her water pot and went her way into it. Now, we don't read here that she ran. And I can't be dogmatic where Scripture isn't, but I know from the way these words are framed, I know that she didn't drag her heels. It's very possible that she ran. She certainly made haste. She got there in good time. She went there with a spring in her step, her shoulders back, forward, pressing forward. Are we pressing forward for the Lord? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and she had a message. Saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now the point now is, the burden that she had to share the gospel, to share the good news. That's what gospel is. To share the good news with others. Because I believe, think of this. You've maybe never thought of this before. 
maybe in some simple terms. But think of this. I believe that in every truly born-again child of God, there is that innate, there is that inbuilt desire within each of us who are truly born again to reach out to tell others the gospel message. Not merely to contain it within ourselves like the bottle of Coke with the lid still on it, but to tell others the good news. It's bubbling up within us. To reach out. To share with others. To share our faith. To do exactly what this woman did. Even though she was only saved a matter of minutes. Even though she had just met the Savior. There was that burden within her. As there ought to be that burden within us. If we're walking with the Lord. To tell others. Think about D.L. Moody again. Did D.L. Moody, once he got saved that day, whenever he had just turned 18 years of age in the, in the storeroom at the back of his uncle's shoe shop, did he just sit on it and say, well, that's great. I'm now ready to go to heaven. I'm now lifted from the broad road. I'm now on the narrow road. That's great. Now, where's that next order so I can just keep doing this? I'll just sell shoes now for the rest of my life. No, his life, his eternity was changed. His whole focus was changed. Back in his day, now it's hard for us to imagine, D.L. Moody was saved on the 21st of April, 1855. Those were very different days from October 2023. We now would beg people to come into church and they'll not come in. Unfortunately, that's the case. In D.L. Moody's day, you literally had to pay to go to church. You literally had to pay to rent a pew. Now that's wrong. That's sinful. That's wrong. But that's the way it was. Whenever he got saved, you, you had to pay to go to church. Now that was one of the conditions that he would move to the city was that he would go to church. He was sorted. He was sorted. But he had a burden for others. And as soon as he was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, the burden grew within him. And he went to the minister of Mount Vernon Congregational and he said to that minister, Reverend, whatever his name was, I want to rent a pew. Now the man looked him up and down and he says to him, what do you want a pew for? You know what that is? That's pride talking. And he looked at him and he says, I not only want a pew, I want a big one. In fact, I not only want a big pew, I want two pews. That wasn't so he could just spread out and put his Bible beside him and say that seat's kept. That was so he could go up and down the by lanes and the streets of that city and ask people to come in, which he did. He prayed that people would come into that church. He put foot to his prayers and he brought in the basest, roughest men in from the city of Boston and he brought them in and he filled those pews and he didn't leave it at that. He prayed and he prayed for those men and for their, his minister that those men would get saved and they did. And he didn't even leave it at that. He said to those men once they got converted, right, whatever your name is, now you do what I did. You rent a pew and you do the same. Before long, that church that was kind of formal and stale and kind of half dead, the man was saved that was preaching there. He was preaching the gospel, but he was kind of half dead. But before long, that pew, that whole church lived with life and vibrancy. Is that the sort of burden that we have? We are saved not to sit, not to occupy a corner and to sit with an old foul mouth and a, and a bad look in our face. We are, we are saved to tell others. We are saved and given that burden to say to others, to tell others the good news about how the Lord Jesus Christ is mighty to save. 
Is that what we're doing with our faith? What are we doing with our salvation? Are we going out and telling others? Are we encouraging them to come in? You don't even have to put your hand in your pocket nowadays. You don't have to rent seats or rent pews. And then I want us to look at something else here. Time's moving on so quick this evening. Yes, there's the grace that she experienced, the grace that we experienced, and then how the Lord reached down so far to pick up so little that is this wretch of a man and the burden that she felt. Do we not have that burden to go out and publish the sinner's friend to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ? But I thank the Lord that that does not end there. Look at the blessings that this woman experienced. Look at how there was a response to that message that she went out with. Look at the verse again. Look at John chapter 4. Come see a man, verse 29, which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. Then, or look at the next verse, they then went out of the city and came unto him. Isn't that wonderful? Now, she didn't, I'm sure, just go out and say it in a glum way and sort of look at her watch or sundial or whatever they were using then. Look at her sundial and go, um, I come and see a man which told me. I'm sure she said it with enthusiasm and with zeal and with fire in her belly. And there was an immediate response to that. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In fact, that's why we read those verses. For me, it's a page turn over there in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans. You know what that is? That's revival. Revival in the most unlikely of places, in the city of Sychar, in Samaria, of all places. Not where you would expect it. Not where you would, you would think that it would happen or where it would come from. Many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him. Well, initially, at least, in verse 39, for the saying of the woman was testified. He told me all that ever I did. And then in verse 41, many more believed because of his own word. You see, she had literally brought the many to Christ. There was great revival in the city of Sychar that day. But it was, and we've given this warning, even in our reading earlier on, we've given this warning of how it was but for a limited time, two days. You know, as we see the events that is happening on the news and of how Hamas are doing what they're doing and of the, 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 the whole tension, everything hotting up in the Middle East, we're getting closer and closer to the Lord's return. We're getting closer and closer to what may be the end of the day of grace where things are getting, things have been and are getting harder and harder and harder, more and more difficult. What are we doing in the light of the Lord's return? What are we doing in the light of eternity? What are we doing in the light of what we have and what we hold and that is our salvation and that is the good news, the gospel that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost? As we're told in Luke 19, verse 10. Look at the blessings that she experienced. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. Yes, she had the zeal and the enthusiasm of a new convert. May the Lord give us that zeal again. I don't know, there's some of you here saved a long, long time. I suppose I'm saved. What am I? I'm 45 now and I was saved when I was seven. You do the maths. That's a long time. Do I still have that zeal and enthusiasm that I did have in that, that early day? Do we still have that zeal that we did when we were first converted? May the Lord give us that zeal. May he fan that flame. May he give us the fire that'll never go out, the fire that this woman showed 
and how the Lord blessed her efforts. She was the first fruit of many. And how we trust and pray that many, even this day and generation, might be the slain of the Lord. We'll turn to our hymn books again.